The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Everybody, it is 2020 and Fantasy NBA today is going strong as we roll into a brand new year of fantasy basketball podcasting. Who the hell thought they'd say that 20 years ago? Not me. Although 10 years ago, you probably could have convinced me because I was already doing a sports betting podcast at that point. Um, welcome back to a, another year. Of Fantasy NBA Today, I'm Dan Bespris. This is a Hoop Ball in Hawaiian Isles, Kona Coffee Company presentation. Hoop-Ball.com, at HoopBallFantasy. Go follow them. You should know that drill by now. And, of course, Hawaiian Isles is HawaiianIsles.com. Hawaiian Isles on Amazon or H-I Kona Coffee if you want to give them a follow on Twitter. I am, of course, at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter myself. Or, as we've determined, and is probably the easier way, you can follow me by just Googling. You can Google it. Dan from Hoopball. Easy peasy, right? Easy peasy. Thank you once again, everybody, that has been leaving these lovely five-star reviews on the podcast. As we continue to grow, those continue to be the ticket to our growth. More people are able to find the show. Rolling into following seasons. And I said it before and I'll say it again. It really isn't about the rating and review doing anything tomorrow. It's about those five-star reviews kind of loading up. And then during the time of year when everybody is looking for their fix, looking for the thing that they're going to glom onto for that coming season, we're able to rock it up the top of the charts. It was very cool to get a text message from Brew. Not that part. I talk to Brew all the time. But it was very cool to get a text message from Brew that said, Dude, I think we're in the top 50 in basketball podcasts in whatever it was. I think it was like mid to late October. Probably very close to opening day. And I, I searched it and I went, holy moly, we are. And the reason that stuff like that can happen is because you guys are out there pushing us up the charts with your ratings, your subscriptions. So then when a new season comes around... And everybody's looking for it. There we are. People find us. They subscribe. That pushes us farther up the charts. Anyway, that's the, the, the formula behind the whole thing. So please do continue to help us out in that regard. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on a, a mobile device. Whatever it is, wherever you listen to the show, please do drop a five-star review on it. This is going to be sort of a continued, the, the same general progression of, of what we have been working on, which is mostly box score review. By the way, we're up to 398 ratings now. So one of you guys, if you did that today, you could be number 400. This is generally, generally box score review when I don't have a, a bunch of guests. And I don't the last couple of weeks. It's a holiday season, so you're mostly just stuck with me. I am also working very focused work on getting rid of the uhs and ums on the podcast. We are getting rid of those. They might creep back in when I'm talking to guests because it's important that people can have, have some kind of idea of, of when it is actually their turn to speak. And with, with Skype calls, you just, you sort of don't know. Plus I'm, you know, generally in my pajamas in the corner of my bedroom. So we're not, we're not doing a video call guys. Sorry. We ain't doing it. So you know, you have to throw in little ahs and ums to make sure they know you're still talking. But when I'm going by myself, New Year's resolution, done. They're gone. I think I've done one on today's show so far. Bonus points if you heard it. We got a couple pieces of news during the New Year's Eve slate of games. And some of it was good, some of it was bad, some of it was sort of neutral. Carl Anthony Towns apparently is a trade target for a bunch of teams, but we're not buying into that all that much yet. This, I think, is just, you know, once that starts to circulate, teams put it out there. I think it was the Knicks, actually, that did it this time. The Knicks more than likely put that story out there to get themselves some positive press. Oh, look, New York is this, this dumpster fire of a franchise is trying to go get a superstar, a disgruntled superstar. Yeah, Minnesota hasn't really given any indication that they're willing to part with that dude, nor should they. 
Rui Hachimura, we got an update on him out of Washington. Finally, that he's out a couple of weeks still. He's already missed two. He's well past the five games they said he'd be reevaluated, and the reevaluation told us he's basically made nothing in terms of progress. Bradley Beal expected to practice on New Year's Eve. We don't know if that actually happened, but that means he's hopefully getting closer. Mo Wagner is out at least three more weeks, so who the hell... I mean, that was crazy. That was out of nowhere. I Honest to, honest to goodness, you know, you, you didn't even really know about the injury. Yeah, it was like a little tweak. You figured, what, a game or two, and now we're looking at probably like a month. So that was a pisser, and hopefully you guys have moved on from him. You just can't wait that long. By the time he comes back, all the rest of these guys are going to be back. His window to produce was when everybody was out. Lou Williams missed a game because the uh, birth of his child, so that's good news. Aaron Gordon is questionable for today, which is, frankly, faster than I expected this stuff would happen. And Malcolm Brogdon tried to play and then ended up having to leave again. Oh, and Trey Young, actually, apparently is relatively close to coming back, so that's good news as well. I don't think anything else was really all that relevant Davis Bertans is already out tonight, but that's sort of a who cares. Other stuff is just a whole bunch of dudes with probable tags for the most part, at least in terms of guys that are, are fantasy relevant. So let's dive right on in now. We, we hit on the very small amount of news from New Year's Eve. We've all popped our champagne bottles. We've watched drunk Anderson Cooper and drunk Andy Cohen bring us into 2020. And now we can review some of the games and get you set for a brand new damn year. Only four games today, by the way. There's a 3 o'clock afternoon game and then a couple of evening games. Lakers-Suns, that should be kind of fun. Best bet won again, got a little help. I had the Warriors-Spurs over. They slowed hard in the second half of that game. It was actually right on pace to hit the number after the first half, and then it went, it was like 17 under in the second half, and they scored 30 points in overtime. Woo! That'll do, pig. I guess we could start with that ballgame. Nah, you know what? We're going to go through this the way we always do. Philly got blown out by the Indiana Pacers. They are not good without Joel Embiid. There are some teams where you look at it and you're like, oh, you know, maybe injured star theory type of stuff can kick in. The Sixers are not that team. They have shown themselves to be substantially worse without Embiid on the floor. They've actually lost three games in a row now after their big Christmas Day win over Milwaukee. You want to talk about blowing out all of their gaskets in one basketball game. This is obviously that. Last time Embiid sat out, they lost in Brooklyn by 20. I mean, they're just, they're bad without him on the floor, and that's not great. They need, the the whole point of signing Al Horford was to give them the flexibility to rest Embiid and not suffer in the standings, and it's not shaken out that way. You pretty much have to win all the games he's playing now, which they've done a decent job of, but you're never going to go... You're never going to run the table. In any event, he didn't play. So Kyle O'Quinn got the start, and you know, he'd be a decent fill-in anytime that we get the predicted Embiid rest day or knee or illness or whatever the hell they want to call it. And then they just got blasted. Josh Richardson was basically the only Philadelphia player to withstand the Indiana onslaught. Over on the Pacers' side, TJ Warren was super efficient. He's been fine. This year, which is sort of what we expected. Fine. Probably drafted him near 100, and he's sitting at 85 in nine cat leagues. I'm not all that worried, actually, about what happens to him when Victor Oladipo comes back. They don't really share a spot on the floor. And for Warren, there's a lot of efficiency stuff going on, so just keep being efficient. Justin Holiday, he'll probably take a hit when Oladipo comes back. And Jeremy Lamb, probably too, because he's more down in that guard wing zone and Warren is more towards the three or the four but whatever we don't worry about we'll cross that bridge when we get there Oladipo still probably three or four weeks away Aaron Holiday looks like he's set to pick up a few more minutes again Malcolm Brogdon trying to again deal with the hamstring and then he left with a back injury I should say in this one it was not the hammy but who knows you know accommodating for one may have caused the other so feel free to stream Aaron Holiday for however many games you can get out of him. He's been very good as the fill-in starting point guard, scoring in double figures basically every single time. Brogdon missed, what, a handful, of, one or two games for the hammy. Uh, I think somebody else missed a game or two in there, and so Holiday basically picked up the starters minutes, and he's been really good. Much better when he's the starting point guard versus filling in alongside Brogdon. That role 
seemed to uh, a little bit tougher for him because he's not a big guy. Miles Turner was on his way to a pretty good ball game, only needed to play 24 minutes in the in the thwomping in this one. So no real massive changes to the valuations here. Malcolm Brogdon just turning out to be a bit more injury prone than we thought. Boston blew out Charlotte. Although, Charlotte kind of hung around in this one. The blowout happened around this, you know, the eight or nine minute mark of the fourth quarter. So you look at the minutes and four Boston players still got up and over 30. So this was a late blowout. Boston pulled away very late in the ballgame. So to call it a traditional blowout, not really the case because you got the starters playing starter minutes. And on top of that, obviously, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, and then when healthy, Jalen Brown, those guys are all going to be solid. Marcus Smart, he tends to go better when one guy is out. Honest to goodness, I don't know if he's going to be over the cut line when they're fully healthy. He's number 90 right now, but most of his damage has come when someone among the Kemba, Tatum, or Brown, or Hayward even, any one of those other four guys is sitting. By the way, Gordon Hayward picking up where he left off 21 10 and 6 three threes 64 percent shooting what a year but the real story in this one Ennis Cantor a career high six blocked shots who the hell saw that one coming not I and I'm pretty upset about it because I had him on the bench in one spot that obviously now I wish I would have thrown him in there it's a team where I didn't really need the rebounding and I thought oh you know what whatever you miss out on a double digit rebound game my team will be fine without it Sure enough, he got his 14 rebounds, 13 points, two assists, six blocks. He even missed a free throw, which is, you know, he's a high 70s, close to 80% foul shooter. We talked about it a couple weeks ago on this one that Cantor was revving up and he's actually been playing harder for this team. He's not going to block this type of, he, this may never happen again, actually. This might have been the only time this ever happens. It has, to this point, been the only time. So why would we think we'd see it again? One note on Cantor, however, is that there is something to be said for playing for a better team. He's actually averaging the highest number of blocks he's had in a season in his career right now. Doesn't do anything defensively. Let's be honest. He'll probably get you about a half a block and a half a steal a game. Oh, well. But at his current rate, getting up around 10 rebounds, I mean, his... His rebounding is monstrous. He's just pushing people around against second units, and then compared to the rest of the Celtics, he's huge. He's a freaking Goliath out there at 6'10", 6'11", because the guys next to him are all 6'6". That team is four wings and Ennis Cantor, and whatever the hell Gordon Hayward is listed as. What's he listed as? 6'7", 6'8"? Cantor's a lot bigger than Gordon Hayward. They're just towering over everybody, grabbing rebounds. You don't have to be 7-2 if everybody else on your team is only 6-7. Cantor's got free reign near the glass when he's in the ballgame. There's, there's every reason to think he could average close to 10 rebounds a game in 21 minutes, and anytime he's going to get over that mark, he's going to do even more for you. Pretty cool, huh? We caught it just in the nick of time, too. Just in the nick of time. Inside the top 100 over the last two weeks now. I think that's actually... I'm not even sure that this game has been factored into that one. Recording the podcast late, late at night. I don't know if it's been put into the system yet. The Charlotte side remains fairly boring. It was nice to see Miles Bridges have a decent ball game, so that's something. He's been a massive disappointment so far this year. The steals and the blocks haven't been anywhere near where we hoped they would be. I was never all that high on him, but I certainly thought he'd be better than this. I would have taken him if he fell to me around 100. He just was getting scooped in the 80s, and I wasn't taking him that soon. But it was really only like a round, round and a half, and he just never got to me, so I dodged a bullet there. 14 points, not that far off from his season mark. He's number 164 overall, about 12 and 5. If the steals and blocks came up at all, he could be a value. Or if either of his percentages came up, he could be a value. It just doesn't look like that's happening. There isn't really a whole lot to say, oh, yeah, that's going to be a big change going forward. You know, we're, we're in January now, and it hasn't been there yet. So I'm actually okay with the drop there, which I doubt a lot of people are. Uh, I don't think there's a massive turnaround coming, not with their current team makeup and just not with his fantasy build. P.J. Washington is a guy I would rather have. He's, when healthy, going to play a truckload of minutes. 
just a just an absolute truckload. And that's enough to get him on rosters. He's number 118, so he's sitting outside the cut line unless you're looking for a little bit more specialist appeal, but his minutes are just so damn high that you you kind of just brave it and pick up somebody who's a good foul shooter to sort of counterbalance the stuff he does poorly. Meanwhile, Devontae Graham has been on one of the worst shooting runs that I can ever remember. Somehow he's still number 74 in 9-cat, but look at his game log and tell me you didn't barf in your mouth a tiny bit. Last time he shot over... Listen, this is important. I want to pause before I say this. The last time he shot over 36% in a game was December 11th. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine consecutive games. He has shot 35% or lower. And it's not like two for five, 40%. You know, it's four for 14, three for 18, four for 15. This is an intense buy low as far as I'm concerned, because I don't think he's going to be great, but he's going to be better than 38%, one would think. Guess he did only shoot 34% last year, but good Lord, he can't throw a stone in the ocean right now. It doesn't help that he's basically taking every single shot from downtown. He's taken like 12 three-pointers a game over this stretch. Yeesh. Terry Rozier also dealing with shooting issues, but he doesn't have the other stuff going in that Graham has, and he might fall outside the top 100. Remember I said there's a chance this team might not have anyone inside the top 100? Graham's probably going to make it. Graham's probably going to make it. But I don't know if anybody else is. Rozier is a question mark. Clippers blew out the Kings despite Rashawn Holmes going for 22-10 and 10 with a steal and three blocks. He's been awesome. Buddy Heald was a little bit better after the Buddy Heald drama. De'Aaron Fox stunk. Bogdan Bogdanovich stunk. Nemanja Bielica was okay, although he had run into a Kawhi Leonard-shaped buzzsaw and he got himself into foul trouble. Harrison Barnes was awful. Is it possible, people, that maybe the Kings just aren't that good? Don't try to sell me a bill of goods on Marvin Bagley being the difference between this team being good and not good. Going back to last season, the Kings got off to that rip-roaring start last year, but they were one of the worst teams in the NBA after the All-Star break. Is it possible that they ran a little bit of a gimmicky offense early last season of just all crazy fast-breaking and when teams started retreating and forced them into an ugly half court, they just don't win? Is it possible? Is it possible that Rashawn Holmes has covered up even bigger issues that loom with this team? They'd be worse. I don't know if they'd have 10 wins without Rashawn Holmes at this point. They beat Golden State on December the 15th. They, since then, they've lost three straight road games, three home games, lost in Denver, and now home to the Clippers. Yeah, Eight losses. That's eight in a row to finish out 2019. Maybe they're just not that good. Lord knows I took the under on them. Season win total under, so this is all fine by me. Cleveland-Toronto was a blowout. It was a fugly day of basketball, New Year's Eve. Chetty Osman had the best line for the Cavs in the ballgame. Tristan Thompson double-doubled, empty. I mean, this is a horrible fantasy basketball team. There was hope that this might get turned around this year, but that faded quickly. Serge Ibaka, double-double, big one. Kyle Lowry played well. OG Ananobi looked really good off the bench in this ballgame. Terrence Davis played well. Freddie Van Fleet was at four blocks. What? Rondé Ellis-Jefferson actually got the start, played 27 and a half minutes. They do a lot of matchup stuff. The Raptors do. And another reason I'm inclined to mostly just avoid all of the non-guarantees. So Serge, Lowry, Van Fleet, and then Ananobi are the four guys I'm trotting out there and I'm not doing anything else. I'm going to keep banging the drum that there aren't enough minutes for Chris Boucher right now. You guys can push back on me all you want, but look at the game log and tell me I haven't been right so far. I told you I'm more than willing to take the L on this one if I end up losing this wager. But since everybody got hurt, he's played 13-24, 14-28, 16-19, and 16 minutes. The two big ones, the big comeback when they were getting blown out by Dallas and the blowout loss to Boston. 
Outside of that, minutes and opportunity, not there. Try to convince me otherwise. It's not happening. Told you, you have to bank on blowouts if you want this thing to work. And there haven't been enough of them. Last three games, he's averaging about six points a game. Six points, five rebounds, less than a steal, less than a block. One assist. Not enough. He's going to end up back on waiver wires if he hasn't already. Golden State, San Antonio. This one was fun and then slow and then fun again. Glenn Robinson the third got hot with no D'Angelo Russell. There was usage to spare. Damian Lee continues his rip-roaring run, and they'll find a way to sign him for the year. They have to. He's been too good for this team. Alec Burks got really hot late in this ball game, and he's probably the trade chip. And then Draymond Green almost triple-doubled. But an overtime game, he very well might rest in their next one. Quickly checking to find out when the Warriors' next basketball game is, because that might give us our answer on this question. And, uh, yeah, only one day off. Then they're in Minnesota uh, tomorrow. I wouldn't be surprised if Draymond sat that game out. He's played well lately, though, so at least there's that. You might be able to get something for him before that news comes out. And then Marquise Chris got the start with Willie Cauley-Stein under the weather, and he was very good as a streaming option. So if he gets another start in Minnesota, trot him out there. If he stays out of foul trouble, he'll be super useful. But man, Damian Lee, what a pickup, and we got all over that one. We were way early on Damian Lee, so you're welcome. I've got him almost every single team that I'm on. There's a free league where I don't have him, and one of my paid leagues. Somebody beat me to the punch on Damian Lee. I got him everywhere else. LaMarcus Aldridge continues to rumble along with three blocks and good efficiency. DeJounte Murray, DeMar DeRozan, those are your guys on the Spurs side. And Derek White, still a drop. I know he played 26 minutes, but it was overtime. I don't care. Denver-Houston, another blowout. At least the Warriors-Spurs game was close. Meh. Spurs had to work pretty hard to get to that basketball game. Uh, Denver got blown out in Houston. I-, I was talking to some of our betting guys in a WhatsApp chat about this basketball game, and they were looking at it, and they thought, well, they- I think one of them said they like Denver. And I and I looked at it, and I said, listen, i got to be honest with you. I have no feel for any team that Russell Westbrook is on. I never have because his efficiency fluctuates so hard on a night-to-night basis. And it's why last season, those of you that listened last season, you heard me talk about this a lot. I believe that Russell Westbrook, among NBA players, has the most narrow band for what his teams can accomplish. Now, obviously, there's a James Harden factor with Houston that he didn't have in Oklahoma City. But if Russell Westbrook is on your team, you have a very high floor because he's always going to be doing something decent. But you also have a ceiling that's not that high, because when he loses his efficiency, you're just not going to beat a good team. You just won't. Now, with Harden, they still might. But a team like Denver, if Westbrook is bad, then it's like Christmas Day against the Warriors. 30 shots, 27 points, that kind of thing. But he was good in this game. Made all six of his free throws, made half of his shots, And sure enough, they ran away with it. Of course, when he is efficient and Harden is efficient, then the wing guys don't really get to do much. P.J. Tucker took one shot in 34 minutes. That's a usage rate of 1.2. I might be the lowest I've seen for anyone all year. You're holding on. He'll be fine. We always knew he would level off a little bit, probably not stay a top 50 guy all season. Daniel House went cold in this game. He had a lot of open looks, and he was unable to make some of them, but he's been playing better lately, so you're, you're likely holding there as well. Eric Gordon played 26 minutes and only took seven shots himself. I mean, the, the usage in this game was pretty gross outside of the two superstars, and, and it's those types of games where your other Rockets are just not going to do enough to be relevant, except Capella. Obviously, Capella can rebound, field goal percent, steals and blocks, that kind of stuff. Over on that uh, Denver side, no Gary Harris. So, uh, Torrey Craig got the start and didn't really do anything. Monte Morris played better than him off the bench, but you're not going to go that that route. Otherwise, you just go with the normal starters. That's an easy one. And the last game to finish up in the 2019 season, well, (laughs) 2019 portion of the season, 
Dallas lost in Oklahoma City. Man, I was close to betting the Thunder on this game. Oh, well, that's okay. We hit the uh, we got lucky with the over, and I, I skipped the one that I liked on the side. Thunder, good, man. So Luka Doncic, 35 points on 29 shots. They basically got what they wanted to out of him, which is he's going to have to do everything himself. He's going to put up big numbers, but he's not going to be super efficient, and he's not going to get his guys involved. Also, Kristaps Porzingis, late scratch in this ballgame, and no exact return date. There's no timetable. It's right knee soreness, so they're going to be careful here. Dwight Powell was a guy that I talked about on the Real Big 3 podcast, and I, I think he deserves a couple more minutes of attention on this one before we wrap up the season. So let's loop back around to him. Shea Gilgis-Alexander's been playing very well. Nerlens Noel got 23 minutes in this one, so you know that's going to be a good line. Chris Paul, not far from a triple-double, continues his solid season. Schroeder has come on great after a little bit of a slow start, and Delino Gallinari came back. So he didn't play last week when I thought he was going to, and then resurfaced in this one. On the Dallas side, I'm going to put my trust in DeLon Wright. He played 26 minutes in this ballgame. That's a really good sign. It's not entirely clear how he was able to, to scoop up those extra minutes. I think you could say some of it is the absence of Tim Hardaway Jr. He didn't have a great ball game. Some of that is that he just wasn't as efficient as usual. If he makes all three of his free throws and makes four out of his seven shots instead of two out of his seven shots, well, you're talking about at least five additional points, maybe six, and then it's 13-3-2 with a block on good percentages, and that's basically the guy that you picked up. So he just didn't have a good shooting game, and that's pretty rare for him. So I like Delon Wright right now. I think he's a must-own, must-start guy, and I think Dwight Powell is a must-own, must-start guy, especially with Porzingis out. Maxi Kleba got in there at the center spot. Powell kind of got pushed over to, to power forward. Both those guys having to deal with Steven Adams was a load. But Powell's getting his steals and blocks all of a sudden. The efficiency is back up where it needs to be. He finally looks like that top 90 guy that we all thought he'd be when the season started. The rebounds were low in this ballgame, which I wasn't a a huge fan of, but a lot of that's going to be opponent-dependent, where if they play a team where Maxi Kleba's the guy that has to go venturing out towards the perimeter, then Powell's going to get the rebounds. And if Porzingis misses more than a game or two then it's going to be a really nice run because that's just a ton of center and forward minutes, and maybe both of those guys end up with value here in the short term. But in terms of the longer-term appeal, Powell finally. By the way, I didn't even realize this until yesterday, which shows how much I've been paying attention to Dwight Powell. He's actually inside the top 95 over a month now. And over the last couple of weeks, he's sitting inside the top 80. 49% shooting from the field in that span, which, by the way, is actually low for him. Close to 80% at the free throw line, which is on the high side for him. But he's also on the season well below his career mark. He was up at 77 last year, and he was at 65 this season. So he was due for a hot run somewhere in there. But again, the real, the big stressor that I want to make is that he's had at least a steal in five straight games and a block in four out of those five games. That stuff is starting to come around. His steal number is around what we liked towards the end of last year. He's not a big blocker among centers, but half a block in 26 minutes, that's low compared to what his per 36s would suggest, which is more in the .7 range. So we get him up around one steal and .7 blocks on really high field goal percent. And we get him up around seven rebounds instead of five, then you got yourself a pretty good number two or very good number three center. So I like him a lot. I like Delon Wright a lot. I think the Mavs are finally starting to develop a measure of consistency, and we should take advantage of it. And that's the last game we're going to recap in uh, of the 2019 portion of the season. That's kind of fun to say. Flip the calendar over and start looking at the four games on January the first. 2020. I hope you've been joining us on some of the wagering we've been doing. Our best bets are rocking right now. I'm on a furious run, and no one dares stand in my path. But if you're not, you still can. There's still a lot of time left. January, February, March, and half of April, plus playoffs if you want to get involved. You can go all the way through June on basketball. But lucky for you, mybookie.ag has all the sports. 
They even have, I think, foreign, weird foreign stuff that I don't fully understand. But we're not even going to get into that. Promo code is the word TODAY. If you're heading over there to sign up for a brand new account, make sure to use the word TODAY as your promo code. You get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit up to a grand. So basically, if you put in $2,000, they will give you an extra 1000 on top of that. If you put in a grand, you get 500 You guys can do the math. MyBookie.ag, the best customer service in online books. It is a big, big difference maker. Try it out. Throw in 50 bucks. Maybe somebody gave you 100 bucks for the holidays. Throw in 100 bucks, they'll give you a $50 deposit match. Make sure you use the promo code because we want credit for it. Right? If we're all doing this, HoopBall should get some credit too. So we're going to drive a whole bunch of new users to mybookie.ag. We're all going to win some money together because that's, damn, that's what's been happening right now. Just ask Kevin, one of our awesome premium subscribers who follows the layup line. I give you little tidbits here on the podcast, but if you want the real stuff, the layup line is the place to go. And of course, our brand new sports betting podcast, which debuts in the next one to two weeks. Basically, once that show gets approval from the various podcast providers. I'm over there at mybookie.ag. Our betting guys are over there at mybookie.ag. Brewski's over there at mybookie.ag. Again, promo code is today, although we have a lot of promo codes. We got one for every podcast we're rolling right now. Uh, Go ahead and bet the Super Bowl. Then come on back. Wager some more NBA with us. MyBookie, bet, win, and get paid. Orlando, Washington, Portland, New York, Minnesota, Milwaukee, Phoenix, and the Lakers. How many of these games does anybody really care about? Probably the Lakers game. Is that about it? The other games each have one real nasty stinker team. Although Washington is pretty fun. Washington, New York, Minnesota. I have thoughts on that Minnesota game. We'll get there in just a moment, though. Quickly, here's what we got in terms of what are the various things that are of relative importance on this uh, short four-gamer. Orlando at Washington. The Magic are favored by four on the road against the Zombie Wizards, who, I mean, I could spend a half an hour just complaining about the lack of injury reporting, but all of a sudden, Rui Hachimura is out for another couple of weeks. We don't know when the hell Davis Bertans is coming back. That one really stinks because all of a sudden he was just out. Mo Wagner is out for multiple additional week. I mean, it is, it's it's open season there. Although, you know, we'll wait and see. Bradley Beal is, is seemingly going to be, if not a game-time decision, then a close-to-game-time decision because we heard that he's basically trying to practice. If he's out, Jordan McRae is your streamer because they're going to need somebody to score. I do think Isaiah Thomas plays better in this ballgame than the last one. If Beal's back in... I, I don't know that there's an obvious stream candidate because Jan Mahimi is sometimes okay in the front court. We saw him lose time to Jonathan Williams in a recent ball game. Mahimi's stat set is kind of weird anyway, so I don't know that that's really a, a path that we want to go down regardless. Troy Brown Jr. has been, in general, fairly effective, and he's probably owned in at least a handful of leagues. He's 27% owned in Yahoo!, his last game was probably his worst ball game in a month. So he's been he's been pretty good. And if everybody's out, he'll continue to be decent. If somebody's back in, he'll probably still be okay because he's not going to take that many shots regardless. He's just, to me, there's just limited upside there. Which is, when you're looking for these guys on the waiver wire, you don't really want to just churn through bodies unless you're streaming. And so for he probably falls into the streaming category. With Orlando... Aaron Gordon, I guess, is not going to miss as much time as the... When someone says sore Achilles, you assume he's going to miss a week or two, and and he's questionable, so maybe. Regardless, Jonathan Isaac's going to be awesome while he's out, and guys like Evan Fournier are going to take a bunch more shots. Not much I'm doing in terms of what I'm watching for, other than just health. That's that time of year. I don't really want anything to do with the spread on this game Washington oh Gary Payton by the way he could be okay too depending on who the hell's in or out Washington won their last ball game caught Miami napping I don't think that happens again in this one but who knows I mean it's weird it's New Year's Day some of these guys were probably out late last night and this is the early game it's not early early 
You know, it's not like they're starting in the middle of the of the morning. I think it's a five o'clock start Eastern time. No, six Eastern. You know, it's only like an hour earlier than they'd normally be going. Portland is at New York. That's a normal start time for the Knicks. So no, we can't really use that excuse. Travel time for Portland. They got to party. They got to do New Year's in New York. I mean, if you watch those the the New Year's coverage last night, you, you probably see like Kent Bazemore dancing down Times Square, I bet. Uh, we know what to expect from the Portland side. We know who they are when they're healthy. Bays is settled in as a streamer-level guy. For the Knicks, they've just been better lately. Julius Randle's been better. Mitchell Robinson's been better. Alfred Payton is sort of the, the guy that we're tracking because he's starting, and by all accounts, if he has the starting job and he's playing his 30-ish minutes a game, then he should be on a fantasy team. But the problem with a guy like Alfred Payton, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, so I'm not going to blow a whole bunch of time on it, is that even when he's playing giant minutes, he's not a guarantee to be a nine-category effective fantasy player because both of his percentage, his historically, are not that great. 45% shooter from the field, which isn't terrible for a point guard, but it's pretty bad for a point guard that doesn't hit any three-pointers. If you're not going to take threes, you better make your other shots, and he isn't really doing that. So, fine, the 39% this year, that probably comes up a little bit, but even if that gets to 42 or 43, it's still a negative. Career 63% foul shooter. It was 74 last year with New Orleans. If there's any chance he can get back into that territory, at least it's only a small negative. But then you're talking about now a guy that if he plays 30 minutes is probably going to have over two turnovers a game. That's a negative. He's not going to hit any three-pointers. That's a negative. Field goal and free throw percent. Four negatives out of nine categories. Blocks you could even put in there as a negative or a neutral because he's a point guard. So then you're talking about a guy whose positives are assists and steals, which admittedly are valuable. But I think people have gone a bit overboard, a little off the deep end with their expectations on Alfred Payton. He's just never been the stud fantasy guy that everybody wanted him to be. Honest to goodness, last year when he had whatever it was, three triple-doubles in a row or four triple-doubles in a row for New Orleans, you know that was when no one else was playing. He legitimately needs the runway to be apocalyptic. No other airplanes on the runway for him to get to that threshold. Way back early in his career with Orlando, they were trying to create that type of atmosphere where he could just sort of cut loose, and it still wasn't really enough. You know, then it was 13, six and a half, five rebounds. That stuff is good, but the percentages hurt. Steals were decent, and that was like barely fantasy rosterable. That was like top right around the inside the top 100. He was almost stream level. So that could be the case here. He could end up being more of a stream guy. I think you hold on, just see how things continue to develop because the Knicks are playing better with him as their starting point guard. They've won two games in a row. They've been competitive in basically three three consecutive ball games and like four of their last five, and they beat Atlanta a couple weeks back. So obviously they're better with Peyton, and if he gets you eight to ten assists, you can't really leave that on the wire. But you almost want to wait for a big ball game and then try to move him. I think that's your best your best outlet here with Alfred Payton. I just I don't like his fantasy game that much. I I am okay. Let me make sure that I'm making myself clear here. I do believe he should be on a roster. If that's yours, cool. But I also don't believe he has any real upside because he's not going to shoot, not going to score, not going to hit threes, not going to shoot a good percentage. Those are problems. Probably better for head-to-head than Roto. Minnesota is at Milwaukee. Oh, by the way, uh, Portland is a four-point road favorite in that game against the Knicks. Knicks have been playing better. Don't write this one off. Milwaukee's an 18-point home favorite. Holy crap. Wow, that's a big number. I am of the betting opinion that anytime you can get almost 20 points with a team, you take it. You just basically have to hope that it's not a blowout, that Milwaukee sort of sleepwalks their way through the first two to three quarters, and even if they end up whipping Minnesota, you got a backdoor cover that's well within reach in a game that this, that's this far out. Plus, you know, we still don't have a, an exact status report on Andrew Wiggins or Carl Anthony Towns. I believe... Towns is considered doubtful for this ball. He might have even been ruled out. 
I don't want to put my I don't want to plant my flag in anything. I'm fairly certain that I saw a report that said he was not expected to play. And I'm not going to just rifle through Twitter while I'm doing the podcast now. So let's just assume he's out, which means more Gorgie Jang, which is sweet because he was on waiver wires, and so you just get to keep streaming. Andrew Wiggins, I believe, is is questionable. We don't know what his deal is with the injury. Will he play? Possibly. I doubt it. Coming off a of New Year's Eve, not the greatest time. Oh, you know what? He is. He has been ruled out. Wiggins is out as well. So this is the full-on zombie squad from Minnesota. It sounds like Jeff Teague might also miss this ball game. So you're really getting the the crap dinkers here. They'll play hard. They're gonna play hard. Boy, Gorgie Zhang, I hope you guys have him as a streamer right now because he's the last man standing on this team. I have no idea who else is going to do anything at all. You almost have to take 18 points and just close your eyes. That's a tough team. That's, boy, that's a tough game. And then Phoenix, 12-point uh, underdogs in Los Angeles. Lakers, uh, 11 and a half, sorry, point favorites at home. Not a whole lot to watch in this one. DeAndre Ayton made his return in the last ball game. I assume they'll ramp his minutes up slowly. He was bad in the last ball game, even in his limited minutes against second units. He was just getting clobbered defensively. And that's what we talk about. I know I, I know at Hoopball, overall as a website, we are accused of being DeAndre Ayton downers. But it's because we watch the film. He's gonna put up fantasy numbers, but there's this there's this disconnect between reality and fantasy where you do have to somehow reconcile the two now narratives are powerful we see it in Sacramento with a guy like Marvin Bagley who is consistently outplayed by Rashawn Holmes but he's the top pick so you gotta find a way to get him in there we saw with Aiton and Holmes last year Rashawn Holmes just keeps burying himself behind narratives DeAndre Aiton is going to put up big fantasy numbers, but if he's costing his team, if Aaron Baines is a better player from a win-loss perspective, just mostly defensively, you have to assume that that's going to impact playing time. That's why we keep bringing it up, because there are going to be real-world implications of this stuff. No, Aiden's not going to end up as a permanent backup. No chance of that. He's the number one pick. He's in his second year. They want to continue to develop and grow him and hopefully teach him how to guard somebody. But the question is, the path that Phoenix opts to take to get there. They brought in Monty Williams to try to win. So if they're a better team when Aiton is playing 27 minutes instead of 33, that could happen. It's within the realm of possibility. We have to put percentage chances on all stuff like this. Oh, I want to go back to the Minnesota thing in a minute too, because I think there's, there's some tie-ins here. You put a percentage probability on a lot of this stuff. Is DeAndre Ayton, what are the chances that DeAndre Ayton plays less than 30 minutes a game this year? Eh, maybe 20, 20%. It's not, a, it's not a big percentage chance, but it's not zero. And when the season started on night one, steroid Ayton, that felt like a zero chance that he played less than 30 minutes a ball game. And it's not anymore. His value has taken a little bit of a hit. I think the universe is also starting to catch on a little bit that defensively he has giant gaping openings, but they do want his offense. So it's a balancing act, as with all things in life. What are you doing from a fantasy perspective? Probably nothing. If you have him, you ride it out because he's going to put up big fantasy numbers if it's 28 minutes or if it's 31. They're going to be big fantasy numbers regardless. He's going to score. He's going to rebound. He's going to do it on good percentages. Cool. What if you don't have him? Do you buy him? No, I don't think the owner's going to part with any for with Aiton for anything less than about a second rounder right now. I think I'd rather see how this thing plays out. If you start to see some little dips, you could probably go get him in that instance. See if you can snap him up at that point, but not right now. Quickly back to the Minnesota thing, because we are hearing rumors about Carl Anthony Towns being disappointed, about Gorgie Jang kind of calling out the, the more talent. I believe he called them the guys with the talent not playing hard enough when they when they come back, hopefully they'll play a little bit harder with something he was saying. I don't know if that shakes things up in Minnesota at all. I don't think Cat is traded this year. I don't think Gorgie Jeng is traded this year either because his contract is a massive albatross. It's a real shame because we're seeing right now what an unbelievable fantasy player he is when he's in there. He's not as good as Cat, obviously. Obviously. But Gorgie Jeng, 
I mean, when he's a starter, look at the numbers he's putting up. Look at the last two weeks. He's number 28. Gorgie Jenga has top 40 fantasy potential as a starter in the NBA. Brilliant fantasy game. A steal, a block, over a three-pointer. He's going to rebound. Remember, remember a couple years ago? It looked like they were going to play him alongside one another, and then Tibbs kind of killed him. The 2016-2017 NBA season, Gorgie Jenga play, played 32 minutes a game, averaged 10 and 8 with a steal and a block. Over a steal, over a block, two assists, and one turnover. It was very similar to Dwayne Dedman's season last year. Just cruising along in a top 50 clip, blah, 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 not a care in the world, and then all of a sudden, boom, exclusively back up. And he's vanished for three seasons now, until this moment when Cat actually missed a few ball games in a row. There aren't that many guys that are going to shoot 50% from the field and 80% at the free throw line. And get you big man stats. So stream and stream and stream until you can't stream no more. They have a back-to-back now today and tomorrow. So maybe you get two more games here out of Gorgie. Maybe you get more. You just got to keep trotting them out there, especially if you're in a games cap league. Because if you can just steal six, seven, eight games out of a top 30 guy, which is what you're getting right now out of Jang, you damn well do it. That's enormous. That's seven or eight games you don't have to play from the last guy on your bench. Your 12th or 13th man. This is a this is a fantastic streaming opportunity. Less exciting in head-to-head. Hopefully he can help you win a week or two, but it's just, I mean, it's not, it doesn't have the lasting impact that these games do if you're in a roto format. Really difficult betting card today. Really difficult. Because you have no idea which team, if any, is going to be hung over. There's a very real chance that if Milwaukee does blow out Minnesota, that the Timberwolves don't crack 100. So here's what I'm ta- thinking in terms of betting stuff for this weird, weird card. This is a day for a correlated parlay. Allow me to explain. A correlated parlay is when you play both the side and the total of the same ball game because you believe that if one event occurs, it will influence the likelihood of the other event. A lot of times, and you can, you can play correlated parlays at mybookie.ag, so you can flip it on over at that spot. A lot of times, people will play parlays that are just the sides of two completely disparate, different different ball games. You know, you play the Lakers and the and the Wolves or something like that. I, hypothetically, don't please don't do what I'm saying right now. This is a hypothetical, or you can play the Magic and the Knicks or something like that. They're two completely different ball games. The outcome of one has zero impact on the outcome of the other. That's a sucker bet. That's a sucker bet. I know that you're looking at it, you're like, but the payout is better, Dan. Yeah. But the odds are way worse. Why make two things the requirement for you to cash a ticket when if you split that ticket up, if you hit both, you win some money. If you hit only one, you break even. And if you lose both, you obviously lose money. In a parlay, if you lose both, you lose money. If you lose one, you lose money. If you lose the other, you lose money. And if you win both, you get a little bit extra. But not enough. The math dictates it's not a good bet. Now, a correlated parlay, on the other hand, is if you have handicapped a game, and I think this is the way you could probably look at it for Milwaukee-Minnesota. If you think Minnesota's going to cover the 18 points, it probably means they're going to have to score 105 to 110 to keep up with the Bucks. If Minnesota scores 105 points, this ballgame's probably going over. If they score, say, I mean, let's say they score 106, the total is 222 and a half. Milwaukee would only have to get to 117 for that game to go over. If you think Milwaukee blows out Minnesota, and Minnesota only scores about 100 points, you probably think the game's going to stay under, because then the Bucks would have to score a buck 23. Do you think Minnesota breaks 100? If they break 100, they probably cover. So that's where the correlation comes in. If you think the underdog is going to cover in this game, if you think they're going to keep it close, it's probably going to be a really high-scoring game. If you think the favorite blows out the underdog and covers the 18-point chalk, then you probably think the game stays under, so maybe you have a little fun. You put like a quarter unit on a correlated parlay, and if it hits, you make a little bit extra. Because you believe, listen, if one thing happens, the other thing's going to happen too. That's a way to make it so that you're not creating two independent things that have to happen for you to win a bet. You're creating two dependent things to win a little bonus on your wager. 
usually. I believe it's about plus 130 or something like that on a, a two-team parlay. Still really excited to get our gambling show off the ground. It's coming soon. Basically, we're just waiting on approval from various podcast providers. As soon as that comes through, you got yourself a new show. I might as well uh, end the show the same way we started it. Although I'll admit, I recorded this show in two different chunks, so I don't even remember what promo I did during the first chunk, but I'll throw it in here at the finish of the show. Obviously, follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Definitely drop a five-star review on the pod. I'm fairly certain I mentioned both of those things. And again, I want to remind everybody, if you guys want to be a part of HoopBall in the year 2020, hit me up. Team HoopBall at hoop-ball.com. Team HoopBall at hoop-ball.com is the email address, or just hit me up on Twitter. Those are the easiest ways to do it. We'd love to have you aboard. We got lots of things that we still need covered over here. Maybe you have something up your sleeve that we haven't even thought about. But anyway, but anyway, we'll break down all four games tomorrow on Thursday. We'll wrap up the week on Friday and then back to the grind. Next week is normalcy returns. Then I think you're two weeks away from, or is it three? Two or three weeks away from MLK Day, the next NBA holiday. I love that one. So many games on that one. Can't wait. Pretty easy card tonight. A chill card. I have, I have, tomorrow we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive on how to set your team up for ROI the rest of the way. That's something you can look forward to for the Thursday show. Thanks again for listening all year long. Let's have another fantastic season. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, we'll end the show the way it began. This is Fantasy NBA Day, a hoop ball and Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee presentation. I am Dan Bespris. Happy New Year, everybody. This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.